And you can go ahead and be seated this morning. Let me now officially say Happy Easter to you. Uh, some of you have got to greet already, but I'm glad you're here today, and uh, hopefully I'll get to greet a few more of you afterwards. It is a, a great morning. Easter is always an exciting time in the life of the church, and today is going to be no different. In fact, let me say for those who are regular attenders, you recognize something already. I'm already, again, uh, speaking to you earlier than I normally do in a service. You say, he's already up to preach, yes. And the reason we're doing that is because we do have some celebration to do already in this service that we know about. And so we need a little time uh, to take care of that celebration time later. And so we'll get to that. So uh, if that's confused you, just hang on. It'll make sense at the end. Because really what I want to do today is get to our message. And we've been in this series entitled Easter with a question mark. And as we finish it out today, ultimately, I want to finish it this way, asking, what is your decision? Hey, what is your decision? Now, some of you are going to say, well, I haven't been here for the series, so I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't matter if you've been here for the series or not, because today's message calls you to a decision. As we look at what Easter is all about, when we get done, every person here is going to be able to answer that question. What is my decision? And you're going to be faced with what is that. And my prayer today is, again, that you will listen to the Lord and do what He asks you to do. And so let's get started. We'll start with my definition of Easter. It says, Easter, the celebration of God rescuing His creation from the brokenness caused by sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that people can have their relationship with Him restored through faith in order that they might live. Now, as we think about this definition, the part that we really focus on at Easter time the most is the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, if you make it a habit of coming to church on Easter Sunday, you probably got up this morning and said, I already know what the message is about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Any of y'all have that thought this morning? Yeah, you said, I know what it's going to be about. It's going to be about the resurrection. Well, if that is your anticipation, I'm going to say to you, yes and no. All right, yes and no, because this morning in this message, what I want to do is, yes, we want to celebrate the resurrection, but we really want to go a little bit beyond the resurrection because I want us to consider what is our response to the resurrection. I mean, when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is central to everything we believe as Christians. If the term resurrection is new to you, when we say resurrection, what we're talking about is the fact that after Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross for the sins of the world... The Bible teaches us that he did not stay dead, but that three days later he rose from the grave to prove who he was, to conquer sin and death, and to offer us forgiveness and eternal life. His resurrection was something that Jesus himself even said would happen. He knew that he would die for sin to pay the price for our failures, but he also knew that he was going to rise from the dead. In fact, if Jesus had not resurrected, he would have been just another dead guy who claimed to be a savior. But Jesus' resurrection proved he was unique, proved he was indeed the Savior of the world. And the Apostle Paul made it clear how important Jesus' resurrection is to our faith when he said in his letter to the Corinthian church, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You see, the Apostle Paul understood the importance of the resurrection because then a few verses later he goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection is a historical fact and it is the foundation of our faith. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not familiar with the resurrection, we can read about it in various places in the scripture. But in Luke 24, we see the women, some of the women who are followers of Jesus, go after the Sabbath day to anoint Jesus' body with spices. 
And as they get there, this is what we read in Luke 24, 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, and I think we sung this a while ago, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, the resurrection should not have been a surprise to these ladies as they went to the tomb that morning because Jesus had told his followers what was going to happen, but they really had not understood until this point. Jesus' closest followers didn't understand what he was meaning when he talked about his death and his resurrection to come. I mean, I just read the first part of Luke 24 where these women came and found the tomb empty. But if we read a little further in Luke, we find the disciples. And when we look at the disciples, what they were is they were huddled together in a room fearing for their life. They believed that those who had killed Jesus would come after them next. But then the resurrected Jesus appears to them. And this is what we read in verse 44 of Luke 24. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, what we see here is Jesus basically looked at these scared and confused disciples and he says to them, this is what I told you would happen. I mean, why are you so surprised? This is what the scriptures referred to. You have now been firsthand witnesses to these things and I want you to go and tell others about me and what I have done. But wait a minute, before you go, I want you to do something. Wait just a moment before you go tell because I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because when the Holy Spirit comes, it's gonna fill you with power and then you go and tell the world about me. Now, shortly after those words, the disciples watch as Jesus ascends into heaven. And by the way, he ascended into heaven and he's coming again someday, hallelujah. He really is, all right? Now, Luke wrote these words here in the book Luke, but he wrote the words also found in the book of Acts. Acts is actually the second book that Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus to explain who Jesus was. And so after giving a quick recount of how he closed his first book, including Jesus' wait to, to go and wait for the Spirit to come, then his ascension, we read this in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as the fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, here we see Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit take place. As these disciples who were days earlier cowered in a room fearing for their lives now begin to speak in other languages and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ openly and boldly. Now, I don't have time to go through everything they're experienced, but if we read just a few more verses here in Acts, here's what we're going to discover, that as they shared the truth of Jesus Christ, in one day, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. 3,000 people proclaimed Jesus as their Lord and Savior and made a commitment to follow him. And then after that, we read, it says, that daily people came to faith in Jesus. 
Now, here's what some people want to do. They want to question whether the resurrection was real. But the resurrection of Jesus demanded a decision from these disciples. I mean, they had walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and they had watched him die on a cross. And now they had seen him risen from the dead. And as they saw him risen from the dead, they heard his words and his command to go and be witnesses. And the disciples had a decision. Are we going to listen? Are we going to go and be his witnesses? They had a decision. And what was their decision? They followed Jesus' command, and they began to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Now, some will even go from there and say, well, what they were doing is really simply continuing a false narrative. Some want to say that Jesus hadn't really risen and that these disciples were just telling people that he were because they wanted a following. Well, here's the problem with that. These disciples did not share their faith for their own personal gain. If you don't know the story of these disciples, most every one of these who went now and began to proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ and proclaim his truth, they died for their faith. They died because they were telling other people about Jesus. Now, here's what I know. Occasionally, one, people, one person will die for a lie. That's because they're delusional. Okay? But you don't have a mass group of people like this who are willing to die for, or give their life for a lie. And the, the disciples were willing to do that because this is what they knew. They knew Jesus Christ indeed had risen from the grave. They had experienced the risen Lord. And they wanted to share the truth with a world full of people needing to be rescued from their sins. Now, you can read through the book of Acts and see how these disciples continue to share the good news of Jesus, see miracles happen, and see many lives change. They did all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit who had come and empowered their lives. Now, what I want to do now, though, is turn to Acts chapter 8 and look at a very specific incident as we consider what is your decision when it comes to the Easter story. You see, one of the early followers of Jesus was a man named Philip. When the church recognized the need for deacons, Philip was one of those chosen. And here's what is clear about Philip. Philip was not only a deacon, but he was also an evangelist. In fact, when the persecution hit the believers hard and they began to scatter from Jerusalem, here's what we read in Acts 8, verses 4 and 6. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. See, here's what we see. Philip proved to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Not letting persecution stop him from proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Like many other believers, Philip was not going to let persecution keep him from sharing the truth of the risen Jesus. Now, as we continue to look at Philip, I want us to look at a counter that begs everyone to ask the question, what's your decision? This encounter comes a little bit later in chapter 8, so let's read now in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasury. Now, first, let's make note that God is the one who is at work here, as it was an angel is the one who told Philip where to go. But let's not forget that Philip is the one who obeyed. Philip was willing to be led by God and go wherever God wanted him to go and to do whatever God wanted him to do. According to the scriptures, the angel told Philip where to go, but the angel did not tell Philip what would happen once he got there. You see, all Philip knew, you know, it could be that the angel was leading him to a place where there'd be great opposition. He could have been leading him to a place where there'd be intense persecution, 
We don't know that. Philip didn't know that. He just said, go. We at least know this. It was a desert place, so that alone could tell us it's not going to be an appealing place, right? I mean, it's not like the angel came to Philip and said, hey, Philip, I want you to go to Cancun. Right? Or Philip, I I want you to go to Hawaii, right? Or or like one of our, you know, one of our church members this morning texted me very early on a beach, right? At a sunrise service. I'm thinking, oh, how you're suffering today for the Lord, right? On a beach, right? It's not like this angel said, Philip, that's where I'm taking you. No, he's taking him to a desert place. Now, as Philip goes, being obedient to the Lord, we see as Philip gets to this place, he meets an Ethiopian described as a eunuch serving in the queen of Ethiopia's court and overseeing her treasury. Now, without going into too much detail, let's just say this, that this was a man who had been physically altered in order to remove some of the main threats that might tempt him to steal money. Namely, the ability to have a family to support. Now, we don't know if this was done to him willingly or forcefully, but nonetheless, he was a eunuch. And maybe his physical reality led this man to feel broken or empty. Maybe it caused him to wonder about his himself and even his worth. What we do know is this is a man who was searching for something. Now, how do we know this? Let's keep reading. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now here we see this man went to Jerusalem to worship. And so we have to believe he had some belief in God. He was most likely what would be referred to as a God-fearing Gentile. He might have even been wanting to convert to Judaism. But here's what is interesting, though. As a eunuch, he would not have been allowed full membership into the congregation. He could have visited the temple, but he would not have been allowed to enter it according to Jewish law. Now, if I were in his shoes, I would have felt lost and broken. This very well may have been why he was searching the scripture. He was looking for hope. In fact, let me say this. He was looking for hope. And can I say this to anyone gathered here this morning? The scriptures are always a great place to look for hope. If you're needing hope today, the scriptures are a good place. In fact, for this eunuch, he was searching the scripture, it says, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And I just wonder if Isaiah 56 would speak to this eunuch. Listen to what Isaiah 56 says. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs. I wonder if he read that and his ears perked up. What? What's the Lord saying to the eunuchs? Well, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Let me ask you, do you think those words would have spoken to the eunuch and given him hope? Yes, right? Absolutely. Here's a man who may have, listen, he may have just visited the temple and not been allowed to enter, who now reads God's word that says, God said that he's going to give him a monument in his house with a name on it, a name that's better than a son, name that's better than a daughter, and it's going to be a name that's going to last forever. It's never going to be cut off. Here's this man who is hurting and searching, and he finds hope in the scriptures. Y'all get that? Are y'all following me so far? That's where he was. Now, in the midst of this searching, Philip comes, led by the Spirit, and asks the eunuch if he understands what he's reading. And the man says, how can I unless someone guides me? In other words, this is a man who's crying out for help. He is confused maybe between what he has just read 
versus what he's experienced at the temple, and he wants to understand, but he doesn't. And so he wants to understand and invites Philip up to sit in the chariot and explain. Well, here's what we read next. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked you, does this prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Let me also remind you, this same scripture quoted here is part of Isaiah 53, which includes Isaiah 53, 5, which says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are what? Healed. Now, this is a verse that people who've been in church for a while most certainly recognize as a verse that points us forward to what Jesus did on the cross. It is what we celebrated on Friday as we looked at the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins and how we are healed spiritually because of his suffering. Jesus truly was pierced for our wrongdoings. He was crushed for our sins. This eunuch, however, he had not had the opportunity to put those pieces together. I mean, what Jesus had done at this point was still fresh and new, and he had not had the opportunity to be told that this is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one, the world, one who would die for us. This eunuch knew someone was being spoken about, but he wanted to know who. That's why the next verse is so key. Look at it, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. Man, I love this. Philip began where the eunuch was and then told him the good news about Jesus. Let me pause for just a moment and say something to those who are here this morning. If you're already a believer, okay? If you're already a believer, there is a decision that you have to make this morning. And and here's what I'm going to ask you. Will you tell someone the good news about Jesus? Will you tell someone the good news about Jesus? Somewhere along the way, believers have lost the urgency to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's what I think we did. We went through a season in church life where we had the church of dreams. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The church of dreams? You build it, they will come. Y'all have watched the movie Field of Dreams, right? You build it, they'll come. Well, I think we went through a season in church life where we said, oh, if we just build a good church and we just build a church, then people are going to come, all right? That's what we do. We build it, they come, and then a professional preacher tells them the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what we've come through, right? Here's the problem. Many people didn't come. Here's a problem today. More people are not coming, right? That's the reality of the situation. And so if that's the case, here's what we have to understand, that God gave a command to us as Jesus told his disciples to go and share the good news and make disciples. We have forgotten that. In fact, in today's world, Christians have got to a place where church is really about their comfort, about their wants being met, about them being comfortable. In fact, unfortunately, I've seen this in too many Christians. They would just assume a lost person not come to church because they don't want to be around them. We should say, oh, me, right? Because God's desire is for the whole world to be saved. And here's what we have to ask our Christians. Are we ready to go and tell somebody the good news about Jesus Christ? Because remember what it says in Romans 10. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Folks, don't get thrown off by that word preach. 
Okay, because the text is not talking about what I'm doing this morning. The words translated preach here can be translated as tell or proclaim. The truth is beautiful feet or any feet of those who tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And let me say this to you. God wants all Christians to have beautiful feet. Right? Listen, I'll say this. Even feet like mine that if I took my shoes off and showed you today, they're very, very ugly. Okay, but even feet like mine that are physically ugly, if they're used to walk and to carry the good news of Jesus Christ, they are beautiful feet. And God desires that every one of us as believers tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Christian, you have a decision to make today. And let me ask you, what is your decision? Are you going to tell someone the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, Philip clearly was one who was willing to tell the good news. We don't have recorded here the specifics of what Philip shared with this eunuch, and I'm I'm sure the way he shared with the eunuch would be a little different than we would share in our day, just because we live in different times and situations. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to briefly share the good news that Philip shared in a way that I hope makes sense to those listening to me today. I've shared this in the past, but some here are this morning who have never heard it, and so I want to share it today And hopes you'll understand, in a way, the truth of what Philip shared. And it goes just simply like this, all right? The God of this universe created every one of us with design and purpose. God has a design and a purpose for every life here this morning. In fact, God has a design and purpose for every area of your life. I mean, he has a design for your family. He has a design for your marriage. He has a design for your finances. He has a design for everything, your work, everything. He has a design for every aspect of your life. And and here's the truth. As long as we stay in God's design, we put ourselves in a place to experience God's blessings. Now, here's the problem. At one point in time, we have all left God's design. We have left that design to do our own thing. The Bible calls that sin. In other words, we looked at God and said, I hear your design, your purpose, but I'm not going to follow that. I believe I know better. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to try my own thing in life. And we leave God's design. Here's the problem. When we leave God's design through sin, there's something that we experience in life. And what we experience is brokenness. Now, every one of us knows what brokenness feels like. Sometimes it feels like guilt. Sometimes it feels like shame. Sometimes it feels like an emptiness. Sometimes it feels like I've been used. Many different things happen, but we have this brokenness because we've left God's design. Things have happened in our life. We feel this brokenness and we know it's there. We live with it every day. And here's what we do. Because we know we're broken, we want to deal with the shame. We want to deal with the guilt. We want to deal with that emptiness. And so we try things on our own to fill it, all right? So some of us go out here and we'll try relationships. If I just have a different relationship, that'll work. Or we'll go out here and say, if I, if I just become a workaholic and I just go work a lot of hours, I make a lot of money, then that's going to fill everything. I'll go out here and, you know, maybe I'll just try pleasure. If I can just do one thing that makes me happy, I'll find it. I'll try those things. Or again, it could be drugs and alcohol. Something I'll just cut cover up the emptiness, all right? I'll put some drugs and alcohol in my system. Maybe that'll make all this brokenness go away. And we try all these things. But here's what we realize at some point in time. At some point in time, we realize that nothing that we tried on our own fixes our brokenness. In fact, here's what we often discover. The things that we tried just called more brokenness. 
because I went to a, another relationship that was worse than the first and I become more broken. I tried the drugs and alcohol, but what it became is an alcoholic and now it's just worse. Or I became a workaholic and I never with my family and so my family fell apart. So we try all these things and it just experienced great brokenness. Now, here's the thing we look at that. We say all this brokenness and it's a bad deal, right? It's a bad thing. Well, it is in one way, but in another way, brokenness can be a good thing when we realize, hey, I need to change. Something about my life needs to be different. And we realize I can't do it on my own and I need help. And this is where the Bible gives us, all right, good news. And the Bible has a word for good news. And the word that the Bible has for good news is gospel. And the gospel is simply this, that God had a plan to deal with our brokenness. God knew we couldn't take care of it on our own, and so he had a plan to deal with his brokenness. And here's that good news, that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. And he came and he lived as a sinless, perfect man. In other words, Jesus never left God's design or purpose for his life. He stayed to his design perfectly, he stayed to his perfect purposely, and he never sinned. And then as a sinless man, here's what he did. He went to a cross to die for you and me. He offered up that perfect life as a sacrifice for our sin. And then after dying, three days later, he rose again to prove who he was, to prove that he could forgive us of our sin and to prove that he could give us eternal life. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And here's what the Bible teaches us, that if we'll recognize our brokenness and we will turn to the gospel, we can be healed from our brokenness. In fact, the word turn in the Bible, there's a word for that. It's repent. In other words, if we repent of our sin, repent and saying, I know I've left God designed, God, God, and I know I've experienced that brokenness. So I'm going to turn from that, God, and I'm going to turn to your gospel. And when I turn, I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ knowing that when I do that, I can be forgiven and give eternal life. That is the good news. So here's what happens. When we turn and we believe, the Bible then teaches, here's what it opens for us. We recover from our brokenness and we begin to pursue God's design again. You see that? We recover from our brokenness and pursue God's design again. And here's the great thing. When we recover God's design, do you know what we do? We go into a world that's broken and tell others the good news about Jesus Christ so that they too can recover and pursue God's design. Think about this. In the end, in the end, there's only really two kinds of people. There's only two kinds of people. The first kind is this. That's the people that are living in God's design. Why don't I put a big smile there? Y'all probably can't see that, but I put a smile on his face, right? Or you're a person who's living in brokenness. And I put a frown there. Can y'all see that? Y'all can't see it. I put it. Just trust me, it's there. You're one of these two people. All right, now, I know that Philip, <laughs> uh, what he would have explained the gospel that day, it would have been a little different than what I just did. All right, but the good news is still the same. Jesus offers you forgiveness and eternal life. He offers you healing from your brokenness. In fact, listen to what the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There's the gospel in summary. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day. And Jesus was God's plan to deal with our brokenness. And we need to turn to God's plan by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, here's a decision that you have or some of you have before you today. Will you turn from your brokenness and believe the gospel so that you can recover from your brokenness and live out God's design for your life? That's your decision. In Romans 10, it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Folks, listen, Jesus died and resurrected. But you have to make a choice to place your faith in him and what he did for you. Think about this. You can be convinced that exercise is good for your life, and it is, right? Shake your head this way. Exercise is good for your life. Y'all know that, but you have to choose to exercise, right? You can know today and be fully convinced that vegetables are good for your diet, right? But you have to choose to eat them. You can be convinced today that a budget is good for your finances. But you have to choose to live by it. Right? Well, today, hear me. You can be convinced that Jesus died for you and resurrected to prove he could forgive you and give you eternal life. But you have to choose to trust your life to him. You have to choose to repent or to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus and believe. It is your choice. Will you choose? The eunuch that Philip witnessed to that day at some point made a decision to receive Jesus. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at what the eunuch said to Philip. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. See, we know that he made the decision to follow Jesus because he chose to express that faith through baptism. And he wasn't going to wait one minute. He said, here's water. Let's do this now, right? Both Philip and the unit would have been familiar with baptism as a method of converting to Judaism and its symbol of washing away sin. Jesus, we know, commanded his disciples to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus saw baptism as a way of symbolizing the commitment to him. He saw baptism as a way of symbolizing one having their sins washed away by placing their faith in Jesus and receiving new life. Now, obviously, I'll say this, the water that's in that baptistry, it does not wash away your sin. I could take a bar of soap and a washcloth and take a bath. Nothing holy about that water. It's not going to wash away our sin. But you know what it is? It is a symbol. It is a symbol. And I like it, liken it to the example of my wedding ring. All right? I wear a wedding ring. Never take it off. I wear it. I wear this as a symbol of my marriage, but this ring does not make me married. You understand that? 35 years ago, I made a commitment to Kim and I stood before witnesses and I stood before a preacher and I made vows to my wife 
35 years ago that I meant with all of my heart. And I told her, I do. I take you to be my wife until death do, do, do us part. And I meant that with all my heart. And I still mean that commitment today. I intend to die being married to Kim. That would be my ultimate goal. I pray we have 35 more years together. But hey, whenever the Lord takes me, that's my plan. I made that commitment a long time ago. Okay. Now, that commitment is what made me married. But you know what I did as a symbol of that commitment? I put on this ring. Now, let me ask you a question. This ring doesn't make me marry my kid. Why do I need to put on the ring? Well, let me say this. wonder if I had proposed to Kim, and when I proposed to Kim, I said, Kim, I want you to marry. Will you marry me? Will you be my wife? But before you say yes, I got two stipulations. First, we're not going to tell anybody we're married. And two, I'm not going to wear a wedding ring. What do you think Kim would have said to me when I said, will you marry me? Huh? No. In fact, in the first service, we baptized a young man who I talked to last Sunday, and I used that exact example, and I asked him that question, right? This is, a young, this is not an adult. This is kind of a younger. I looked at him and said, what do you think she would have said? And immediately he said, well, no, because he understood in that moment that if I made those stipulations that I would not have been serious about that relationship, right? Y'all with that? Y'all with me? You're following it, right? Well, I share this because, again, baptism is similar. Again, the water in that baptistry will not save a single person. What moves a person from brokenness to recovery is faith in Jesus Christ. What moves a person from spiritual death to eternal life is faith in Jesus. However, what baptism does is it shows that one is serious about following Jesus. And a refusal to be baptized is basically telling Jesus, I am not serious. And I say that boldly in light of this fact that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you go make disciples and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if that is his command, here's what I know. A refusal to be, baptized, to be baptized as a believer is a person being disobedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and the first thing he asks us to do. In fact, it really leads us to another decision for some this morning. Will you be obedient to Jesus and be baptized to express your genuine faith in him? The resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. And because of what Jesus did, we are faced with this decision this morning. Really, several. Believers, will you choose to tell someone the good news about Jesus Christ? It is what God wants you to do, but you have to choose to be obedient. Others this morning, will you turn from your brokenness and believe the gospel so that you can recover from your brokenness and live out God's design for your life? Jesus has provided the way, but you have to choose. Then those this morning who are either making the decision to follow Jesus today, or maybe you're someone who here this morning, you made a decision to follow Jesus years ago, but you've never been baptized and obedient to Jesus Christ. Will you come today and be baptized to express your faith in him? Even if you didn't come today prepared to be baptized, let me go ahead and tell you, we're ready to help you be obedient this morning. In fact, right now we're going to do something that I don't do very often, but I feel led to do this morning. I want this morning every head to be bowed. Every eye to be closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want everybody here today to consider your decision. And what is your decision this morning? First, believers, I'm talking to you. Right now, will you make the decision to say, I'm going to tell someone about Jesus Christ? If you're willing, this is what I want you to do in these moments. You don't have to listen to what I'm going to say here in just a moment. But right now, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to pray. 
I want you to pray, God, give, give me a boldness to share Jesus with someone. Give me an opportunity to share with someone. Or if you already know somebody in your life who needs Jesus Christ right now, I want you to begin to pray for that person. So right now, believer, will you tell someone about Jesus? If you will, I want you right now to begin to pray. Then those of you this morning who are here to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, or if you need Jesus Christ in your life, I, I want to ask you, will you make that decision to follow him? And, and will you make that decision to express your, your faith in him? In fact, right now, if you're a person who says, I've, I've never placed my faith in Jesus, I know that I'm living in brokenness, right now, are you ready to turn from that brokenness and turn to Jesus? If you know that you need Jesus and you're ready to make that commitment today, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. All right, and before I pray this prayer, let me say something. 35 years ago, when I made my commitment to Kim, a preacher said some words and said, repeat after me. But I didn't talk to that preacher in return. I looked at Kim and I said those words to her. And if you're here this morning and you need to receive Jesus Christ in your life, I'm gonna say a prayer that I'd like for you to repeat after me. But you're, I don't want you to talk to me. I want you to talk to God because he's the one who needs to hear that. And so if you're here today and you'd like to pray that prayer, just, just pray along with me as I pray it. You ready? Dear God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you loved enough to send Jesus to die for me and to heal my brokenness. I confess to you, God, that I've left your design and done my own thing. But God, I want to turn to you and experience your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for me and I believe that he rose again. I ask you to forgive me and today I commit my life to Jesus and I want to live out your design for my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.